sexual identity. I know that's really broad. It'll be narrowed down before we get to next week. But we talked about uh, theology of sex the first week, and uh, and then last week, singleness, and then this week, uh, marriage. And what does Jesus say? What is marriage according to Jesus? And in anything that we, especially these days, um, in any area, in any topic, uh, it's getting harder and harder uh, for us as followers of Christ to, to really know what we believe, don't you think? Because it used to be, um, back in the day, you know, I'm not that old, but uh, even back in my day when I was younger, that generally what Christians believed was morally uh, morally good or morally upright. I mean, the society also felt pretty much the same way. So areas, especially in uh, in divorce or remarriage, it was generally you know, not really looked upon positively. But that has changed. And our culture is becoming more and more like uh the culture that would be familiar to the first century, Christians and believers, where the, the culture was not very Christian, maybe anti-Christian. And so it's not a bad thing, but it just forces us to really uh, think, well, what is it that we believe? Because we could have just coasted you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, because generally people went to church and, and people thought the same way. And so we didn't really have to have a really good, solid theology because the culture was kind of supporting does that make sense? But now, uh, more and more, we've become post-Christian. And again, it's not a bad thing, but it forces us to reevaluate and to go back to the scriptures and say, okay, so what is it really? And why is it different? Or how is it? Or maybe it's not different. And so this is one of those areas that we need to do that. And this is not a comfortable area. I understand that. Um, divorce and remarriage and, and just marriage in general. And uh, our culture does not have the same view of marriage that we see uh, in scriptures. That's just how it is. So, for example, uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, right? There's the whole purpose of this reality TV show is to find your soulmate and you narrow it down each week and people get eliminated and, and um, people who believe that they're, I can fall in love at this TV show with one person and choose that person and like, as if falling in love is the basis for marriage. Surprise, uh, it's, you won't find that uh, in the scripture. And therefore, falling out of love is not a basis for divorce as well. But our society has made this very individual. These are the reasons why some people might get married, because it's um, beneficial for both parties, maybe career-wise or for some other reason, and it's just really good for both of us. But then when it becomes not so beneficial anymore, then, well, let's separate and, and go our own ways, because it's good actually for both sides, right? Or some people may may um, enter into marriage to have a family. We want to have children and raise a family, and then their whole lives are devoted to their kids, and then the kids grow up and become adults, and then it's, oh, well, hmm, I don't really know you. Well, the kids are older. They won't be, you know, let's go our own ways. And so there's different reasons why people may get married in our culture today. But I want to look at, what does Jesus say about marriage? And it's um, um, it's going to be hard. This is... Uh, this is a very hard message for me to write, and it kept changing direction. It was so frustrating. I thought I had it. No, I don't. And that's why your sermon notes are pretty bare, because I didn't really have time to put a lot into that, because I was, even late last night, going over these past, these teachings of Jesus, and how do we, how do we approach this in our culture today? So uh, take sermon notes. I know a lot of you like to doodle. It keeps you awake, and that's how you process things, so they're good for doodling. You may also uh, want to grab a pen, and uh, you can write a lot of things that I'm saying there, but generally... Um, the order, the outline of my sermon is there. But um, I made sure that there was uh, Sunday school right up to grade 8 um, today because um, 
it's a difficult topic. It might not sound that controversial, but if if you're only going to get a bite here or a sound bite here, and then if that's what you focus on, you could really misunderstand what the message is. And so just to ensure that children, because you know, they may not have as long attention spans, we do that. They take this and then they misinterpret, and it just can be very confusing and actually um, harmful. Um, each week, Mark, each month, Mark Lehman will teach twice, twice a, twice a month for grade seven, eights, and he asked me which one. So I said, okay, make sure this one, when I'm talking about marriage and divorce, that the kids have something. So it's difficult. I'm just warning you, and we're getting ready, and it's going to be hard uh, for some of us. Some of us might feel we're being judged. Uh, we might even feel condemned. We might feel, oh, this is like uh, hopeless. And so stay. I, hopefully by the end, uh, it becomes different. But part with you, you might just want to get up and, and leave. So just don't do that. If you want to leave, then do it now. Um, but it's really bad. Jesus' teaching is pretty tough. He's pretty hardcore. And I think, man, why does he say these things? And I've had to check, is that really what it says? Like, And so maybe you might want to do that. If you have a boss, is that really what Jesus said and, and why? So, for example, we, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago too, but like when Jesus taught on marriage and on divorce, the people that were listening to him, like in the original languages, they totally understood the culture and everything that was going on. They were, you remember what they said? They said this. Well, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, then it's better not to marry that was their reaction. And Jesus didn't say, correct them or anything. He was just, yeah, well, you can, we'll read it soon. But next verse is, well, some people can accept this teaching and some can't. And he just left it. So if you think, and, and some people said probably the disciples were trying to make a joke. right? Oh, you know, if this is really what, better not to marry, ha, ha, ha. And then expecting Jesus to laugh along or say, oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstood me. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But he didn't. And so after you, we've read these teachings from Jesus, and if you hear other churches or other people saying, oh, no, 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 it's not that bad. Like, but no, 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 no. That's not what he meant. And they're not really getting to the core of Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage and marriage, and because this should be the only reaction when you listen to what Jesus says. Wow, maybe it's just better not to marry. This is how serious, and, and he says other things. In Luke, there's these words, another, anyone, okay, anyone, right, who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Okay, I didn't think that's what adultery meant, but, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So if he wasn't married before, so that's like, what? Isn't that, doesn't make sense, does it? So things like this. So anyways, let's get to marriage according to Jesus. It's hot up here. Get out your pens. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Are you ready? Get your sermon notes. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be looking at other verses as well, but Matthew 19 will be the main one. So if you just want to put your finger, a bookmark, or pen into Matthew 19 for now. Marriage according to Jesus. Jesus says things like this. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Everyone's heard of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, it's, um, it's described as the Sermon on the Mount because he's on a mountain preaching. And it was like this big, long sermon. He's preached these things at other times as well. We see it in Luke. But in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about divorce and marriage and adultery. Um, but it's framed with these words. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law, okay, of everything that, that Moses had written and the Torah and the Old Testament. I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. So I've come to uh, fulfill them. 
to bring to a getting behind, you know, the letter of the law. We can be very legalistic. We follow letters of the law. But you know, it's, there's something behind that, and I've come to fulfill what is written there. So remember, this is what he talks about. So he says things like he'll say, you've heard that it was said this, and he'll quote something from what Moses wrote back in the Torah, uh, maybe Deuteronomy or something. And people will be, oh, yeah, I remember that. That's in my Bibles. But then he'll say, but I tell you this. And he reinterprets it. Makes it worse, actually. And so, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, uh, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago. Okay, this is in, in their, their scriptures. You shall not murder. Yeah, that makes sense, right? That's not a good thing to do. Don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, right? And so they would look at, yeah, I remember that. It's in this scroll here, back here. I do remember that. It was said that. But then Jesus says something like this. Not something like this, exactly. He says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, not like your sibling, but a brother in the Lord, okay, will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry. You've heard that it was said, don't murder. You get that. But behind that, it's anyone who is angry. So many of us might say, yeah, I've never murdered anyone, so I'm good. Can any of you raise your hand? Like, yeah, never been angry. Never. I don't see any hands going up, right? I know you're joking, Seth. So, okay. Wow, that's pretty severe, okay? Jesus is hardcore. He says something else like this. He says, again, um, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, okay, that's the Hebrew, like you fool or something, uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, hell, whoa. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty severe, right? Jesus hasn't come to abolish these laws. He's come to fulfill them. He also says something like this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, generally, I think people, yeah, don't commit adultery. That's not, that's not good. Don't do that. Don't cheat on your spouse. But he says, but I tell you that anyone okay, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm not going to ask for hands, but I can imagine... It would be hard to answer that question. Maybe we could say, yeah, I've never committed adultery. I haven't cheated on my spouse. But how about this? Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed. I mean, that's adultery. No, that's adultery. According to Jesus, it is. And then he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, right? Those are visually oriented. Get it down throw it away. It's better, like, to have one eye, to lose one part of your body than for your whole body thrown into hell. Pretty severe. Like, Jesus is hardcore, right? And then he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Pretty, pretty severe. Jesus, man. Then he says, the husband said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, in case you want to look it up later. This is where it talks about divorce in their law. Deuteronomy 24, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, there. Simple. But... I tell you, says Jesus, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for, there's an exception, sexual immorality. We'll talk about that a little bit later. What does that actually mean? He doesn't say adultery, actually. He says, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, okay, I guess, you know, Jesus said, I know it's said in your law. When you divorce, they give a certificate of divorce. Okay, but Jesus said, I tell you. Anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. This is the NIV, and personally, I like the NIV just because it's nicer in this one. But if you have an ESV or RSV or King James or whatever else, you know something different there. I don't know if you all use. I just use NIV because that's when I was a Bible quizzer. We used the NIV. I've got a lot of verses memorized in that. 
not because I think it's the best, so we kind of stick to one translation. Does anyone have ESV or, or RSV or something else? Where it says, um, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, causes her to become an adulteress. What? Anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her an adulterer. That's what these other, pretty tough. I'm not going to get into that. I think this is just, you know, better, but even still pretty harsh. This is some of Jesus' teaching on marriage. So let's look at Matthew chapter 19. You know that one? Um, this is a longer context. It'll help us to understand a little bit more what Jesus is saying. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19. If you feel uncomfortable already, just wait. It's going to get really, really hot in here. So Pharisees, they're always looking for a way to trick Jesus. Because if they can prove that Jesus is teaching against Moses, who was their great prophet, then, then it's, they can prove that Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's not a prophet. He's not sent from God. He's not God. So they're always trying to find these things. And so they had gotten together and they had heard maybe some of Jesus' teaching. And so they come to him and say, here's some Pharisees, right? They know the scriptures really well. They come to him, they test him. It's a test. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So just a little background. Uh, today is different, but back in the first century in Judaism, it was um, the man can divorce, but the woman can't. And so Jesus has changed, you'll see later, uh, made things equal, but so this way, a man. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In Judaism, Judaism wasn't just one monolithic thing that everyone agreed the same. There's some different streams. One of the streams said that you cannot divorce for any reason at all. And another stream of Judaism, both interpreting the Old Testament, they said uh, you can divorce for pretty much any reason. If you don't like her cooking or if you don't like the smell of her breath, seriously, you can divorce your wife. So, the, the Pharisees are trying to test them. Okay, who, who are you like this kind of Judas, uh, Jew? Or are you this kind of Jew? Which, which are you? And they said to test them, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, every, for any and every reason? And he says, haven't you read, which is great, because these are experts in the law, experts in scriptures. So like, haven't you read? Of course they have. They've memorized a lot of these scripture, but haven't you read your Bibles? Okay, he replied, that at the beginning, he goes back to the very beginning, the creator made them male and female. I need a, well, I'll just go over here. It's not going to look as pretty. You remember from a couple weeks ago, we had Jesus going back to the beginning again. He says, at the very beginning, God made them male and female. He breathed life into them. Again, you can decide which one's male, which one's female. Colors have nothing to do with femininity or masculinity. But he made them male and female. Where's my clicker? And said, for this reason, okay, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Theology of Sex 101, 
we realized, we learned that sex is it's not just physical. It is the signing of this marriage covenant. The two become one flesh. What used to be two now becomes one. Blue and red become purple-ish. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Marriage is, this is marriage. They leave their original family, and here they are. This is what happens in marriage. Verse, next verse. So they are no longer two, okay, but they are one flesh. And then he says, therefore, we, we repeat this at wedding ceremonies often. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Like, how can you separate this? Can you? Is there some sort of, like, magic formula where you can go back to the original state? You, you can't. It's, it's purple now. You can't separate what God has joined together. This is what Jesus says. Verse 7. So then, they're like, aha, okay. So why then, Deuteronomy chapter 24, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce that's underway, huh? They got him. They're going to trick him. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? Like, if this is true, Jesus, really, then how come in the scriptures Moses says you can do this? Actually, Moses commands that. Well, they made a mistake right there. You see that mistake? Jesus picked up on it. It's that word command. No, he didn't command that. Jesus responds. Moses permitted you. He didn't command you to divorce your wife for whatever reason. He permitted you to divorce your wives because... Your hearts were hard. It was a permission. Not Moses knew it was happening. He was assuming there was a presumption that divorce is happening. So he permitted you to divorce your wives, but it was because you're, you're hard, hard-hearted. But Jesus said it was not this way from the beginning. So he goes further back than Deuteronomy 24, goes back to Genesis and says, male and female, the two become one, that you don't don't separate. Don't even try to separate what God has put together. It was not this way from the beginning. And then they're they're probably thinking, oh, that was a stupid question, right? Like I thought we had him, and then whose question was that? That was dumb. He got us again. They never learn. It's fun watching them all throughout the gospels, right? Like, and Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, there's this phrase again, except for sexual immorality, this is the word porneia, and um it's not adultery, but it's We'll talk a little about that in a minute, except for sexual morality, because there's an exception, okay. And marries another woman, commits adultery. Like, wait, what? No. Is that adultery? Like, that's not adultery. See, like, I can imagine their thinking. I don't know what they said. It's not in the scriptures, but like, no, Jesus, that's not adultery. Okay, adultery is when, like, you're married, and you cheat on your wife or your husband and you have sex with someone, that's adultery. But if you're divorced and single like, and you marry someone, that's not adultery, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And he's like, does that make any sense to you? This is pretty tough. So then what is going on here? It's like, they talked about this certificate of divorce, and Moses did permit people 
to give a certificate of divorce. But the reason why he did this is because women had basically no rights back in those days. They were supported by their husband or by their families, their father's family. And so if they are kicked out of the house, if, if the husband thinks, I don't like how you cook or whatever, just, you know, you're out. Then she has no, like no one can take care of her. She's helpless. It is an awful situation. So Moses said, since this is happening, if you're going to do this, then give her a certificate of divorce. So then she has this certificate, and now she can go back to her, her father's family, father's home, and say, look, I'm not just, like, taken off. I'm, it's not my fault. I got a certificate. My husband kicked me out. Please take care of me again. Or then allows her to, for, just gives her, it's a security thing. So it was not safe for women. So the reason was because the men were not taking care of their wives. And you're divorcing them. So if you do that, give them a certificate. So then people know what's going on. But then Jesus says, no, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, whether you have a certificate or not, except for sexuality, marries another woman, commits adultery. So how do you, like, if this is one, how do you, how can you separate them again? So back to red, right, blue. Just pretend. Is that, is that how it works? Are we back to red and blue? Or are we still like purplish? Like maybe Jesus is saying you can't separate what God puts together. It, it doesn't work. Even if you have a certificate. So maybe, maybe this picture says, yeah, I've got a certificate. And it proves, look, I'm red. And this person says, look, I'm blue. You think I'm purple, but I'm not. I got a certificate. Does this mean, does this certificate mean that this person is back to the original state before they're married? Look, it doesn't work that way. So Jesus is kind of saying, not kind of saying, he's saying the certificate really doesn't mean anything in God's eyes. Just because you have a certificate of divorce, maybe God doesn't think you're actually divorced. This is pretty harsh teaching. What is going on here? This is why. Disciples say, well, if that's a situation between a husband and wife, then it's better not to marry. Now do you see why they said that? Is this how you feel? Like This is pretty severe, right? Maybe it really is. Just If this is how it is, there's no escape you know, clause for men. And men, men are thinking, so in, if I marry someone, so I have to give up the option of divorce? Well, then it's just better not to get married. And that's what they're saying, right? This is the only proper response, I believe, to Jesus' teaching. It's, it's tough. Why would Jesus say this? This, I mean, is this a correct interpretation of what he's saying? I'm just going to put this away because it's such a disturbing picture, isn't it? It makes us all feel uncomfortable. Why would Jesus say these things? Maybe, maybe Jesus knows what marriage really is. Maybe our culture has got it wrong. Maybe we, even in the church, have been a little bit lax about marriage. And Oh, you know, it's fun. We love each other. It's good enough. But maybe Jesus knows something about marriage that we don't. What is marriage according to Jesus? Marriage simply is 
we can see this all through scriptures, it, and we talked about this when we talked about sex. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship. All through scriptures, it's very clear. Right from the very beginning, when God created the male and female, and they became one flesh, it's a covenant that reflects the Trinity, the oneness of God. It's a covenant that reflects God's faithfulness to his people. And you know, you read the, the scriptures, and in the Old Testament, God often refers to his people. Um, they're his people. They're, they're like they're married, right? They're, um, and they look forward to that time when there's going to be that big marriage supper in heaven. But when they go to other countries, other nations, and worship their idols, what is he? He calls them adulterers, right? You're an idolatrous nation. You're like you're cheating. You're like a whore. He says these words. This is that's how it reflects his relationship with them. So the marriage is a covenant that reflects God's relationship with us. So for example, Hosea is a crazy story. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Hosea was a prophet, and God told Hosea. Let me just back up because I don't want to get to that verse yet. I see your eyes wandering. Uh, Hosea, uh, he told Hosea to marry this um, adulterous woman. Because, and then um, and they have children, and, and she runs off, and she's with other men. And God says, go get her. Chase after her and bring her back. It's a crazy situation to be in. But the Lord said to me, he says to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Okay, they, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, kind of a funny ending there. But this image of Hosea, this is a reflection of how God loves His people, and we can see that this relationship that God with His people is often referring to as like a marriage covenant. Hosea 14, verses 4 to 7, you don't have this in your notes, it's, or maybe you do. He says these words, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, he will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots, his young shoots will grow, his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon, people will dwell again in his shade, they will flourish like the grain, they will blossom like the vine, Israel's fame will be like the wine. Of Lebanon. The main message of the life and teaching, the prophecy of Hosea, is this unbreakable covenant love of God. Nothing is going to separate God's people from God's love. It is unbreakable, his faithfulness and his love. It also talks us, tells us about marriage and divorce. It models for us a love that overcomes adultery in Hosea's life. And affirms that covenant of marriage, which is unbreakable. Just like in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We see also, you've got this in your Malachi chapter 2. Jesus, very, or God's very clear. Um, God was not happy with their offerings. And they say, well, why? What's going on? He says, why? You ask why? I'll tell you why. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You haven't been faithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. You see, marriage is a covenant. Verse 15. Has not the one God made you? Yes, he has made me. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife 
of your youth. In verse 16, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says, Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. We see God's covenant relationship with his people and God's uh, view of marriage as covenant put together in these same verses. And in some, this is the NIV, right? I just stick with NIV usually, but some of your translations will say, God hates divorce, right here. But here it says, um, the one uh, who does not uh, who, who divorces, does violence to the one he should protect. Marriage is a covenant. And so can you see if marriage is a symbol or a sign or if it's a covenant that represents the love and faithfulness of God to his people, which is unbreakable, nothing is going to separate them from God, then you can you see a little bit more the context of Jesus' teaching on marriage and how this is really not something that is lightly to be taken Lightly. In the New Testament, these verses some of you might be familiar with, you see again, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. And so it is not just a romantic relationship. It is not just something to help us with our careers or raise our status or whatever else. It's a covenant that we are entering into. Our culture does not think so. They think you can get married on the bachelorette. Maybe you can, but this is a covenant that is unbreakable. And so when God puts together, don't you try to separate. So, got to somehow, somehow bring this back down to earth here, right? This is, uh, what do we do with this? Some of you might be thinking, um, I didn't realize that uh, I was an adulterer, and you've if you're accepting Jesus' teaching, you realize, okay, what do I do now? You might be thinking, oh, well, now I have a reason to go back, you know, leave my second marriage because, you know, this is not right. Not at all. Uh, these aren't proper responses. And some of you were thinking, I wish that, um, you know, I wasn't here today. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, there's five passages that talk about marriage and divorce, and 1 Corinthians 7 is one of them. And this, you know, usually we think Paul, Paul's really harsh and we love Jesus. In this case, it's almost the other way around. Like, whoa, Jesus, you're really harsh. And I like Paul's teachings a little better. Paul appropriates Jesus' teachings for the context that he's in, and he will say, don't leave your, if you're in second or third or fourth marriage, don't, don't do that. Stay. Stay in whatever situation that you're in, because probably his people were thinking, you know, kind of the same things. When Jesus talks about this, he says, except for, if you divorce your wife, except for sexual immorality. So I guess there are some exceptions. And there is a uh, marriage bond can be broken by one or the other if there's some, if adultery is happening, for sure. Uh, if there's some sort of sexual immorality, this word porneia, uh, it's this whole list uh, in, in Leviticus where these sexual sins, it would include that for the first century Jew, it would include but it's not only restricted to it. So it's not clearly defined, but there's something. Sexual, of course, adultery and some sort of sexual morality would break the bond, and then the person is free because that's it's to go on. And Mary, First Corinthians chapter 7, if you can open um, or take notes. I'm here, just going to lift this up. Because there's more sex, exceptions, actually, to um, to divorce here. Paul says in verse 10, he says, to the married, okay, so those of you who are married, oh, and the widows, 
so both, I say this. It is good to remain unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So in this case, remarriage is, is, is okay. Then he says, um, sorry, to, did I say married? No, to the unmarried and the widows. Now it says, verse 10, to the married I give this command. And this is not I. Paul doesn't say, but he says that, but the Lord. So he's probably referring to Jesus' teaching on marriage. But for us, it makes almost no difference because Paul's inspired by God to write these scriptures. But he says, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce uh, his wife. To the rest, I say this. And then he says, this is me saying, not I, not the Lord. Okay, verse 12. If any brother has a wife, okay, and this may be some of you, who is not a believer, and she's willing to live with him, then he must not divorce her. So that's not an excuse. Just because you have a spouse who's not a believer, Paul says, don't, don't divorce, stay. Um, and if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For if the... For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and this is really confusing, sanctified um, through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be, sorry, I need reading glasses. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So if you have a spouse who's not a believer, you think, okay, this it just doesn't work. We need to separate. No, don't do that. Stay. Because somehow there is a benefit. Somehow there's a benefit to your family, even if you're the only one that is a believer. And I'm not, I can't even say exactly what it is, but Jesus is your husband, your unbelieving spouse is sanctified somehow through you, and your children are holy. There's some benefit to that that is not, I don't really, can't say exactly what that means. Stay in your marriage. But if you have like a husband or a, or a wife who's not a believer, verse 15, if the unbeliever leaves, uh, let it be. And then he says, the brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. This is Even if there wasn't sexual morality or adultery, or adultery if, if the unbelieving partner wants to leave, then okay, let it be. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save uh, your wife? So 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 19, and those other verses give us pretty harsh teaching on divorce. They say there are some exceptions to divorce. But generally speaking, it is because of marriage is a covenant, and it's a sign of this unbreakable love of God. And so that is who we are as married people. Now, last week we talked about singleness. And so single people have a great role to play in testifying to the future kingdom because there's no marriage, right, in heaven. And we enter this world single, and many of us are going to leave, uh, exit the world single. Single people have a great role to play. They can testify to what's coming. Everyone's going to be single. So, but married, so they're both, right? It's, it's not just one or the other. Singleness is good. You've got a role to play. You've got a way to testify to, to God's coming kingdom. And married people also. You, you demonstrate God's unbreakable, unconditional love uh, to those around you. And to the, the, the divorce is not an option for those who are following Jesus Christ. And that's why the people are like, well, if this is what it's like, if I have to give up my right to divorce, then it's just better not to marry. It's like, yes, you're married. And I know some of us are getting married soon, and maybe more of you are going to be married sometime. So I'm, I'm glad you're here today. I see some of you are here. 
you need to know that this, this is like a big decision. You know it's a big decision. I know that. Divorce is off the table. And you're not marrying, entering this just because you're in love with someone. Because then when you fall out of love, you think, well, then I guess, okay, we'll just you know, get divorced. Because the truth is, ask married people who are around you or we, we know, you do fall out of love. You might fall back in love. You may never fall back in love. You may stay out of love with your spouse for a long time. In fact, there might be times in your marriage where you hate your spouse. Like literally, I can't even stand to be in the same room. But that's not grounds. Nowhere in the scripture is that grounds for divorce. Falling out of love or being in love is not a basis for marriage, even though our culture might tell us that. And if that were the case, then if you fell out of love, it would be totally reasonable. So, you know, we don't love each other anymore. It's mutual. So we just want to, you know, no. Marriage is a sign of God's unbreakable love. So be ready for that. You might end up thinking, oh, I married the wrong person. I made a mistake. Many people who are married have thought that. I see some of you nodding. Yeah, I felt that. Divorce is not in our vocabulary. So those of you, so I'm just trying to summarize. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. Um, it's an, marriage is a reflection of God's unbreakable faithfulness. I hope that makes it a little bit easier to understand Jesus' harsh teaching then on marriage and, and divorce and remarriage. It is not grounded in a feeling of love, but it's, um, it's a way for us to practice love. Do you remember Sermon on the Mount, right? All those things that were listed there, and that there's so much more. This is about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Marriage is discipleship, and it's not easy. No one promised it would be. It's hard. I know being single is also hard. Being married is also hard for different reasons. And some people who are single are very lonely. And some people who are married are also very lonely even though they're married. So it's, it's not like I just have to get married, it's going to be great. Or I just have to get divorced, it's going to be great. Marriage is it's discipleship. Being single is discipleship. It's a part of following Jesus Christ. And no one said that it would be easy. Those who are married um, continue to love uh, and, and support your spouse. And um, sorry, I'm losing my spot. We also understand that uh, divorce, there are exceptions, according to the scriptures, where divorce might be an option. But generally speaking, divorce is off the table. If someone has committed adultery, if there is some sexual immorality, if if the unbeliever if the unbelieving partner wants to leave, then let it be so. Might there be other exceptions to divorce? Not in the scripture. I think many people would say, and I mean, you know, here's not the Lord but I, because there's no example of physical abuse uh, being a reason. But I think that um, in some cases, the loving thing to do is to separate from the person who's abusing you to show there, there are consequences. Like, it's, this isn't the best thing to do. Don't just keep on being beat up. So, the Apostle Paul applies Jesus' teachings. So there might be some exceptions, but these are very rare and extraordinary. And generally, the word divorce is off the table for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. So, in response to this, this is, I, I hope I've kind of remembered everything that I was supposed to say. I told you this is a confusing week for me. Three words accept, confess, and ask. First of all, like we'll get, I'm going to get to a little more later, but can you just accept that this is what marriage is, according to Jesus, even though it's like, what do I do now? Um, I don't know if I divorced properly. Maybe I'm not really divorced. 
I remarried when I wasn't supposed to be married. Forget about that for now. Do you just accept that this is what marriage is according to Jesus? Just say, yeah, okay. Jesus, it's, it's harsh. Sounds harsh. But I accept that you are the Lord, that Jesus is your God. And I just accept the fact that, yes, this is what marriage is. It's a covenant that reflects God's love to us. Can you just accept that? Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about your parents or whatever else. Just do you accept that that's the truth? That's the first step. Secondly, then confess. The only way we can receive mercy and grace is that you confess that maybe I did something wrong. I sinned. And so, you know, some of you would think, I, I didn't know that was adultery. According to Jesus, that's adultery. But yeah, remember the Sermon on the Mount and even looking at someone lustfully? Is this, it's the same as adultery. So if you're thinking, if you're feeling singled out like you're not, probably, I don't know who would raise their hands if we said, so how many are guilty of, you know, looking at someone else, you know, lustfully? Um, maybe we're all adulterers in our hearts. And so the same Jesus who said these words, he's God, right? Remember, this is God incarnated. It's so fascinating to read this gospel. So that's God. I've reminded you of this before, John chapter 8, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. Like It was no doubt she was an adulterer. She committed adultery, and they brought her to Jesus. And again, they're trying to trick him and test him, right? All these people, these men brought her and said, look, this woman was caught in adultery. What do we do? Should we stone her? Because that was what the law said. Death. Again, very severe penalties for things related to marriage. And so remember, Jesus said, okay, so... Whoever is, is innocent, then you cast the first stone. Everyone leaves. And then Jesus says to the woman, so where is everyone? Oh, they've all left. And they said, well, they don't condemn you. Jesus, I don't condemn you either. You're not condemned. But he also says, stop sinning. Don't do that anymore. I'm not condemning you. And probably everyone's in the same boat. But stop. So confess. You know, I'm not sure. I guess what I did was wrong. Maybe I ended my marriage wrongly. We just confess. It's okay. Let Jesus know, okay, I'm sorry. And uh, I repent of that. And um, this is huge. Confess. We'll be celebrating communion shortly. There'll be a time for you to pray. And maybe you just want to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I accept your forgiveness. And the other thing we need to do is ask. Ask for mercy. Ask for grace. Those of you who are single, you might need to ask for strength, for mercy, for grace to stay faithful in your situation and be a good um, testimony to the future coming kingdom where everyone is single. It doesn't mean you're going to be single forever, but this is where you are now, and you're completely blessed 100%. And you have a role to play. Don't wait for something in the future. If you're single, maybe you need to ask for that kind of grace. If you're married, you need to ask for, you know, Okay, first the divorce is off the table. I need help. Right? It's difficult. You think having a roommate at college is hard. Think about, you know, this is, it is, right? It's not easy. So ask for grace. Ask for mercy. This is discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And I need help in my marriage. Give me grace. Just ask. So can you accept that this is Jesus' teaching. Confess if there's something. That just call it, Sin is sin. Just call it sin. This is why Jesus died on the cross, is what we're celebrating. Accept his forgiveness. And then ask. 
those of you who might be in second or third or fourth marriages, you, you understand when I poured those two together and then try to separate them. You're like, you're not really like your other marriage often enters into your current marriage. You think there's, it's like, it's not, I see people nodding to it. It's like, it's, you're not completely free. You need grace for this marriage that you're in. Stay in whatever situation you're in, Paul is saying, but like make this the best marriage. Stay in this, ask for grace because we need it. So accept, confess, and ask. And um, you know, there's, there's five different passages. We didn't go through all of them. It's, you know, what, 30 minutes or 40 minutes or something. We probably need to keep preaching on this at some point. But I would love to talk with you afterwards. There's so much more that I just couldn't put in here. Sometimes, you know, I, I say things that my wife said, did you mean to say that? I know I said that. Oh, my goodness. Please come talk to me or send me an email or, or Twitter or whatever, and, and let's continue dialoguing, uh, dialogue with other people in your small groups too. So let's keep this conversation going. Also, you know, people have been divorced and, and they've been remarried or whatever. This is, it's not our place to judge, to say, well, you know, we really don't know people's motives. And it could be, there might be situations where it looks like one party is innocent because it was, you know, she was the one who filed for a divorce, so, you know, it's not my fault. But maybe this person was hoping, you know, she would file it, so it just made her life miserable. It was just belligerent. And, just like, and then to and she it's, oh, it's not my fault, you know. I don't know the situation. So don't make any judgments or, or don't condemn people when you don't really know the story. There's always room for reconciliation. There's, there's room. This is a place for adulterers, right? So please come and join us. You're fully accepted as part of, part of our, our fellowship and our whatever, everything. So I don't know why that just came to mind. I'll just stop. Let me pray. And then um, the music team will come up. And uh, Wes, one of our members on the board, is going to lead us in communion. Heavenly Father, um, I trust that you spoke today. I know that I spoke, so um, hopefully those weren't my own words. If anything that I said was not a good representation of you, please delete that from people's minds right now. And may your word stand true, and may we be faithful to what we know of your teaching and your definition of marriage. Help us, Lord, to help each other. We're a community here. We cannot do this on our own. And Lord, may we be that generation that holds marriage to biblical standard of